Hi, this is Thomas Nicholson from Legends of Tomorrow and Supernatural for a Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is beloved by the mushrooms. It'll make sense later. I'm your host, Craig, and we are here to discuss the sixth season of DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Some would say the craziest show on television. Joining me for this is one of the few people that I know that also watch this show. It's Chris. Hi. Hello. Thanks for inviting me into this little pod room today. There's not mushroom in here with the two of us. You're welcome. You're such a fun guy. We could be here all night with mushroom puns. We actually couldn't because that's the only one I had. So that's us. That's it. They're all done. (laughs) Let's face it. Anyone that hated that, which will be everybody, has now turned off. (laughs) (laughs) Upset the bar. thought, this isn't worth listening to. This is it. It's gone. (laughs) But yeah, we had another season of Legends. It happened and it was a thing. So we're here to discuss it. So... Let's just go right in. What did you think of this season without the spoiling? Without spoiling. Without spoiling for anyone. It pains me to say I have not enjoyed this season as much as some of the previous. I don't know if it's just that I expect even more madness than they can possibly now fit into that TV show. It still has its mad and zany moments, but there's not been as many that have stuck in my head, maybe, as in previous seasons, and... That's left me not maybe jumping to watch the episodes as quickly as I previously did. But overall, still enjoyed it. I've still kept watching it. I've not dropped it like some of the other DC shows. So overall, okay. I think it's been good. But as we've discussed, Neil McDonough might be enough to bring back. <laughs> maybe the promise of McDonough. We'll find out. <laughs> he's gone from here. So he's the way to save another show. That's what he does. He's the patron saint of saving DC shows. <laughs> Side note, you should listen to his interview with Michael Rosenbaum on Inside of You. It's really interesting. I had no idea he was so religious. I don't know why I would think that he wasn't so religious. I just didn't know anything about him, but it was an interesting interview. So check that out. Definitely. It's related to this show, anyway. Yeah, have a listen to that. It's pretty good. Oh, well do. Really good, actually. Yeah, season six. I would agree with you. It's not on a par with some of the earlier seasons. And I do think that maybe we've reached a bit of a zenith in terms of what the show can pull off. Because it used to be, well, what crazy stuff can they do next? And then they would deliver on it and this season had less of that although it did still have it and we'll talk about some of our hilarious highlights later on which should be a feature name now that i've said it hilarious highlights it rolls off the tongue brilliant okay we're calling it that later on remind me or i'll remember someone will remember if not i'll edit it back in anyway i think there was a focus on taking it a bit more seriously this season they were dealing with some heavy stuff not that they haven't dealt with heavy stuff before but they usually do it in a very comedic way which in turn illustrates how meaningful that storyline is. But in this, they had a couple of stories that were very heavy duty and there was no way to really have a laugh at them. So that was a bit jarring. And I'm not going to say out of place on this show, but it took some getting used to. And we'll talk about what we thought of those particular stories later on. But I think that's maybe to its detriment. Also, we had two character exits this season, which is a lot. I know we've had two in a given season before, but 
it just feels like a lot and it's very strange. It's a very strange season of television and I do wonder what they're going to do next in the next season, which starts next month because of COVID delaying everything. They, it, they finished the next season when they've just finished airing the <laughs> current one. It's crazy or filmed enough of it to air it. So it's got to be the shortest gap between seasons I've ever seen on anything. Curious. But yeah, I liked it. And there are definitely a lot of really good things in here. But at the same time, it was weird. Even by legend standards, it was weird. So we can get onto that. So should we get onto that? Should we just spoil and go straight into spoilers? Let's spoil everything. I managed to break Gideon. So should I use our standby AI? Oh, let's. That helped us out on the Superman podcast. Let's do it. Captain Luthor, I'm ready to do Neil before pod. There we go. And if you haven't listened to my interview with Daisy Torme, who does that voice, she voiced an AI in Superman and Lois. Go listen to it. Link in the show notes. It's on your podcast feed. She's lovely. It gives you some really interesting insight into how voice acting works. And you should definitely listen to it. Not so much for my input. Definitely for hers. Self-plug. Over. I think we need an Arrowverse AI crossover. I think that's what we need now. Have we got enough AIs to form a crossover or have we only got the two? Trying to think now. I think it's only the two, isn't it? We've got Gideon. The other Gideon. Because there's two Gideons. Yeah, we've got Gideon, Gideon, and the as yet unnamed AI. Whatever the Superman and Lois one is called. (laughs) (laughs) Three's enough for a crossover. I think you've got to interview the voice of Gideon now. I think you've got to add that in. We would complete the set. There's only two. We'd complete the set. The second Gideon is Morena Baccarin doing the voice? Ah, right. Okay, so there's three. Okay, so we've got Gideon, Gideon, and as yet unnamed AI. Right, okay. So we've got to give you three then. The Gideon on this show is voiced by Amy Louise Pemberton, and she might be a bit above my pay grade, especially since she's going to be in body in the next season, somehow, I've read. Right into the spoils, we're talking about next season already. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. We're just going to skip talking about this season and and speculate as to next season, then we're going to call it a night. Sorry, season six, we're on to season seven already. Tough luck. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, let's start with Sarah. Why not? Captain Lance, her plot was again centred around death. Well, abduction and then death. She gets abducted at the end of the previous season, quite hilariously, when everyone's drunk and she's getting pulled up by an alien tractor beam and nobody notices. And then at the start of the season, everybody wakes up hungover after the night before and they're not sure what's going on. (laughs) They don't know that Sarah's been abducted for a while. That was a really good way to start it. Where's Sarah? No one knows and goes around catching up where everybody is. It's only been, relatively speaking, one night. But it gives you a good reminder of what everyone's been up to and where they're at after the events of that season finale. And then as they realise, Sarah's not around. Where is she? And then they find the abduction. I like that. I thought that was a really good start to the season. Ava doing a bit of a tour around everybody just to catch up. All the random hangover places that people had found themselves in. (laughs) Yeah. Ava throwing up in the Wave Rider's only toilet. John and Zari having just hooked up and whatever Nate was doing. I can't remember. Yeah, Nate was with David Bowie. Mm. Another self-plug, interviewed the guy that played David Bowie on this show, so listen to that. Nice guy, Thomas Nicholson, really cool guy. He has a lot to say. He talks about what Dominic Purcells like to work with. Ooh. It's one of the things he talks about. He also says other things about other stuff. But Sarah gets abducted by aliens, and she spends a good chunk of the season off on her own plot, which I found a bit strange. I interviewed a director... <laughs> Here's me plugging another interview. I interviewed someone who directed the Cold War episode... And he was talking a little bit about Sarah being off on her own thing, but there wasn't really a reason for it that he told me. Like on Supergirl, Kara's off doing her own thing for the first arc of the season because Melissa Benoist was pregnant and they had to fit it around her maternity leave and stuff to film 
her scenes, so they had to isolate her. But there was no such production reason for Sarah doing that, so I guess it was just a narrative reason. But it was a bit strange having her away from the team, and I also found it a bit, not limiting, but they're definitely stronger when they're as a cohesive unit, so having Sarah unable to interact with the other characters, I certainly missed it in those early episodes. Yeah, definitely, because Legends is about the crew, the family, the interactions between everyone. So to pull someone from that and sort of have them on their own little side mission away from everyone else, it does impact that. There's people who are there because they want to see Sarah and Ava interacting or Mick and Sarah, the OG Legends hanging out or doing something. So to take one of your characters and just fling them on their own thing for a bit, Yeah, there must have been a production reason for it. I get that the story demanded it for a bit. The advantage, I suppose, is it gave Ava a chance to shine as like a de facto leader for a bit. There was that aspect to it, which I enjoyed. But yeah, when you're missing Sarah from the main lineup, it doesn't quite work the same, I would say. We've had the Ava as a leader before plot as well. They've covered that quite extensively before, so it's not as if we need to cover that Again, I mean, she is always still learning how to manage the team. And there is a bit of, here's what I need to do to get the best out of these people. But also at the same time, she doesn't get to interact with the rest of the cast. She does get to team up with Spartacus, though. (laughs) Sarah, that is. Which was quite funny. And he gets eaten. Is he really Spartacus or am I Spartacus? I don't know. But they make that joke. They make make multiple versions of that joke. (laughs) Yeah. As is the only way you can do the I'm Spartacus joke. And Sarah getting to kick ass along with Spartacus in that first episode to show him how it's done and stuff was really good. Again, Sarah shows everybody who's boss every single time. She just doesn't take any nonsense. Yeah, it sort of acted as setting up essentially what the plot was going to be for the rest of the season, wasn't it? Or for a good chunk of the season, which is we have now scattered all these alien pods just everywhere. They've ended up throughout the timeline. It acted well for setting up that, but I think they maybe kept her on her own for a bit too long. Yeah, I would say so. And then, as I said, it's the death plot, the death and resurrection. Mm. So the original Sarah gets killed, and this is something I've got really passionate feelings about, because it's the lack of the show addressing it properly that really irked me. So they point out that Sarah's dead, her original body is dead, right? And then there's this clone that has all her memories fine. It has the ability to self-heal, and it's this genetically perfect version of Sarah, which... I found funny because Bishop said that Sarah Lance was the template for the perfect human. And yeah, okay, I can believe that. I can believe (laughs) that people would consider her to be the template for the perfect human being because why not? She's very much the best. I think we can all agree on that for sure. But the second body is invulnerable, it heals. But they don't really mention anything about the soul. And we know that souls exist because they've covered it in this show before. They did it with the whole Mollus thing where Nora's soul was pledged to Mollus. Constantine's around, he's always talking about souls. Astra's around, she owned John's soul for a while. Someone else owns John's soul after a while, etc. The the soul gets passed around. It's that coin. That coin gets passed around like, well, currency. Because it's in hell, souls are currency. But they don't explain what happened to Sarah's soul. Is it that her soul is transferred to another body? Is it this body's got its own soul that isn't the original one? In which case, the original Sarah would be dead. And this new one is... Not the original. It's just exactly the same, apart from the superpowers, I suppose. So I don't hate the fact that they've done that. I hate the fact that they didn't even mention it. And I get why Bishop wouldn't believe that a soul was a thing, because as far as he was concerned, he just makes copies of himself. And that's how he continues. He doesn't consider the fact that 
a unique being is destroyed every time he copies himself and kills the old one. Because there's that point where he breaks his leg or something like that and he just liberally kills the old one and makes a new one. So I thought that was going to become a plot point where someone would mention, by the way, every time you kill yourself, it isn't you that comes back. It isn't the same being that comes back. It's something different, someone different. And that's potentially the case with Sarah. They don't say either way. So I'm not sure. It really annoyed me that it never got brought up. It's true when you put it like that, actually, that you've got two people who are really connected to that stuff. Like you say, Constantine being there and the soul being a factor previously in the show for it not to get mentioned. It didn't seem to have the impact on Sarah even that I thought it would. The impact seemed to last that episode, maybe the episode after, but then kind of got discarded, not mentioned much. It was just gone really apart from the fact that she had her powers towards the end there wasn't that much done with it especially for a character who's died and been resurrected before this isn't the first time that she's died but this is them now bringing her back in a different way and it's not a different personality it's all the memories and things from before i would say it's a new soul isn't it it's a new person the experiences of the old person have now ceased so the soul wouldn't transfer yeah that's how i took it this is someone with carbon copied experiences so the generation of their soul starts from when they open their eyes doesn't it it's not passed on in that way so yeah i'm with you i think it's a new person a new entity and all it would have really taken to clear it up is for John to wave his hands and say, nope, you're the original Sarah Lance. No question. Don't worry about it. Let's move on with our lives. Yeah, there's no other Sarah Lance ghost hanging about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a good reveal when she discovered that she was dead, when she saw her own hmm. body. That was a good reveal. And there was that bit, as you say, they cover it a little bit, where she feels like she's not herself anymore and she wants to get a pure human version of herself built, but they have to cancel the printing because they have to escape. And you've got that bit where Mick says, I don't care whether you have alien powers or not, you're Sarah Lance as far as I'm concerned, and that's the end of it, so let's go. And then that's the end of it, really. And then you get the bit where Ava finds out and it's, let's keep it from the team for a bit. But you can understand why they do it. It's not frustrating, and then the team find out, and then they don't care. Because why would they? I mean, this is a team that's used to various different guises of the same character appearing again in a following season, so that doesn't shock me. <laughs> the fact that we end up with time duplicates and alternate reality versions of characters or people who just happen to look like other characters, that doesn't shock me that the crew got on with it okay. I suppose they were teasing a little bit of Sarah becoming more cavalier with her new powers. If you don't have to fear death, how does it change your decision-making? So it can work to advantage where you can shoot through me to hit someone else, and it's not a risk to me. That's not a problem. Or or I'm going to start putting myself into situations that I shouldn't, or being more cavalier. It's like a person without fear. No consequence. They played with that a little bit, but they didn't really dive into it. And maybe that's something that they're going to go towards. She let herself get shot in the head. Mm. So there was a little bit of getting shot in the head and a few other bits that happened. And I don't know if they'll lean into that more in the next season, maybe. Or if it'll be one of these things that's discarded and forgotten about and occasionally comes up. Like when Nate steals up, 
happens about three times a season. <laughs> they eventually remember, they go, oh, he's got powers, I remember. And then someone knocks him over, he hits a tree and it all disappears again. Oh, well, that was short-lived. <laughs> yeah, he usually steals up for like 10 seconds. That's all we can afford. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've already used the graphics. We've had alien tentacles this whole season. We can't afford Nate stealing up. Also, the steel effects look kind of crap and we don't want to overuse them because you'll <laughs> see how crap they look every time. But yeah, I think... Sarah becoming more reckless might be a thing, although at this point she's a pretty seasoned leader, so she'll understand that putting herself in danger, even though it doesn't represent a direct threat to her own life, might represent a threat to the lives of those under her command. So I don't think she'll go over the score in that sense. And they did have that episode where I just want a normal mission. Mm. And she wanted to forget about the fact that she had powers, and obviously everything about it was less than normal because of course it is and they do that identity thing and Ava just says you're the same Sarah that I've always known and loved it puts the issue to bed a bit but to have souls be a fixture in the show and then not at least tell you what the rules are around these duplications in regards to the soul was a bit of a misstep I thought and I kept waiting for them to address it and they never did I agree with you but I suppose the right person to get you past that is someone like Ava where there are multiple duplicates of her out and about in the timeline we saw the chef version and the security version and the receptionist (laughs) version of Ava through the early episodes so I guess She's the right person to go, it doesn't matter if you're a clone or a copy or a duplicate. Or maybe that should be the alternate way around, I guess. Well, Sarah ended up seeing that when she was working with the other Avas. Hmm. She wasn't distracted by them because she didn't see them as the one that she knew. Hmm. She saw them as different people. They are all different people with their own souls. Just as Sarah 2.0 that debuts in this season is a new Sarah with her own soul. Yeah. So they had everything in there in the season to explore it. It's not that all of those Avas are the same Ava. They're different. And the only difference between the Sarah and the multiple Avas is the original Sarah Lance was killed. So that means that the character that we have been following for five seasons plus however many seasons of Arrow is dead. And there's a new one that's exactly like her, except she has super healing, but isn't the same person as such. How complicated. Yeah, I'm trying to think. So does that make her the only person on the crew that is her original, or was her original now? Because we're Mick leaving, and we've had alternate reality versions of the other characters now, if I'm right. I don't think anybody else has been duplicated. I think you're referring back to the end of season two, where they crossed their own timeline. But it was always the new timeline version that got killed. Yeah, I suppose so. We've got two Zaris, for example. So we're now looking at the second iteration of Zari. The new Zari and the old Zari are two different people. Yes. Okay. Karen. I suppose they are the same soul because it is just her from a different timeline, which is why they can't coexist. Yeah, they can't coexist. But yeah, it's different timeline versions of different duplicate versions of pretty much everyone that we've got at this point, or the remaining at the end of this season. Apart from... Ava, I guess. We need to go to Arverse Con and ask Berlanti. <laughs> yeah. I have a question for you about Legend Season 6. When Sarah Lance dies, what happens to our soul? Who's like, I don't know. <laughs> no one thought yeah. of this. <laughs> You're supposed to be distracted by the bowling episode. You're not supposed to think yeah. about it. We turned the earth into a bowling ball. Focus on that for a bit. <laughs> but I actually think that would have been an interesting way to defeat Bishop by having him realise whoever the original version of you is is long dead. You've been so cavalier with life that the soul has been destroyed and recreated 
hundreds of times, thousands of times, however many it is, you're not yourself. You're not the original. Give them a massive identity crisis. Yeah, I suppose so. But I suppose that's part of the how do you get that far along the line that he's doing what he's doing? Is at the point of let's destroy the earth. <laughs> Your soul's been divided up X number of times over all of this. You've kind of lost who you originally were. We see that in the final episode when we're seeing the original version of him trying to create his first Ava. That is not the same guy who's been duplicated however many times. It just should have been addressed and wasn't, and that's what really annoyed me. And then you could have had this moment of realisation for Sarah as well, where she acknowledges the fact, I'm not the original Sarah Lance, but I am now Sarah Lance, and I have to honour that sacrifice. I have to honour that original version, and I will. And then the rest of the team can say, well, we know you're not the original captain, but... You're our captain all the same. Something like that. I think that would have been a good road to take and destination to get to. Mm. But that's not what they did. So what do I know? I want to speak to the writers (laughs) right now. (laughs) Get them on this podcast. But you also had attached to everything else, the wedding stuff. Early on where Sarah was really casual about it and Ava was freaking out about it. And I really liked that dynamic. And you went into Ava's hyper organized tendencies where she had that big folder full of wedding stuff and Sarah was like just do whatever you like and all that stuff even though it was hiding the fact that Sarah was nervous about the wedding but she's the one that wanted to propose and then that's what they were building up to throughout the early part of the season because they did the proposal when Ava Astro projected kind of and then they did it properly later on Mm. and you had that whole she wanted to propose during the night of that concert and she told it to David Bowie (laughs) before she was abducted so that was good and I like to build up to that wedding about them just figuring out what it was all about the discussion they had about inviting Barry and Iris was really funny oh that made me laugh don't invite them them. every (laughs) wedding that they go to ends with supervillain invasion (laughs) I did kind of like that why have you left him on the do not invite list because his show is crap and ours is still good and we don't want him tainting our show (laughs) I liked all the wedding prep stuff. It kind of fits into what they've done with Ava in the past, which is that she's super organised, sometimes over-organised, doesn't like improvisation. Well, wedding is like that event, isn't it? This has to be perfect. This is the only one that I am going to do, in theory. I get one shot at making my perfect day that I have always pictured, or that we've always pictured. So, yeah, to put Ava in the middle of that with dress decisions and who are you going to sit at the same table and who are you going to invite and what music are we going to play what food are we going to have it's the perfect obstacle to throw in their way i really like the combination of the relationship i think it's fantastic that they got married at the end of the season that they've made it official and done all that and it's one of the more stable relationships in the arrowverse i never would have put my money on that at the beginning (laughs) sarah the assassin v ava the robot that's not a robot but a clone but not a clone getting married by the end of it i would not have put money on that you would have managed to win well and truly off of me on that one damn it (laughs) travel back in time to the which season she introduced three i'll travel back in time to the legends season three podcast and edit in a bet Damn it, I forgot he had that power. Um, <laughs> At some point, I'll just have a conversation that will manoeuvre you into saying, it's a bet, and then I'll edit that in. And then, by the way, remember, here we go. 
<laughs> uh, I've already said the word bet, so you've definitely got that on tape, and I'm pretty sure you can form the rest out of all the podcasts that we've done. But yeah, I never would have bet on that relationship at the beginning, and I definitely wouldn't have said it, it would have been one of the more stable in the Arrowverse. I think they're, they're a great functioning couple, which in the show, in this weird wacky program that they've put together is pretty standout to be honest yeah and there's quite a few things i liked about the wedding itself and the lead up to the wedding the episode where they captured bishop when they reawakened that trope in genre movies where the villain wanted to get caught remember that used to happen all the time loki did it the joker did it the guy from skyfall did it silver yeah is that his name he wanted to be caught There was other ones as well. So it was that situation where the villain wanted to be caught because it was part of their plan. And that was the same with Bishop, where he was manipulating Ava by playing the I'm your father card. That was really good. And I like how Sarah lets their conversation happen because she assumes that Ava will be the winner in this interaction. She assumes that Ava's the one actually doing the manipulation, where she kind of isn't. She is falling for it, but she doesn't realise that she is. And that works really well. And where they're doing the wedding planning stuff and then they come to realise that Ava has instinctively picked all the stuff that Sarah likes for their wedding setup, for their meal and everything else, their colour scheme, all that stuff. It highlights how strong they are as a couple because Ava just rattles that off without thinking about it because she's anxious about the fact that she doesn't feel like she's up to the task of organising this. And then when she's prodded, it's just boom, 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 got it all. That was really good. That really worked. The only good use of Bishop, as I said. Yeah, playing on that theme of the I'm your father. Yeah, it was good use. He was 6% Sarah at that point, isn't it? <laughs> Something like that. But the fact that the manipulation happened, because you knew it was going to happen, it was just a question of how. And the fact that Sarah ignored it because she had faith in Ava, but she didn't understand the extent of the anxiety around the wedding planning at that point, because she, again, believed that Ava had it all under control. So they know each other very well. But also Sarah makes assumptions based on that information that aren't quite correct. And that's, again, very real. Because you don't know every single thing that someone will do, no matter how well you know them. Yeah, can't argue with you there. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much hitting the nail on the head there. Yeah, you're not going to know absolutely everything. You're never going to get it 100% perfect for another person. But yeah, the two of them work, I think, as a couple. It shows the strength through those subtle ways of them matching up what they want to do with each other and how they want things to proceed And I think that shows how strong it actually is. And then the wedding vows themselves, they highlighted how much they've learned from each other because it surprised Ava to realise that Sarah was the organised one at that point. She'd written them long ago. She knew exactly what she wanted to say. She knew exactly how to articulate it. And then she did. And Sarah's side of the vows were about family and about offering Ava a family because she understands that Ava doesn't have that stability in her family because of her fake memories and all that stuff it's a sore point for her but sarah says no no you're my family this team is your family and i can always give that to you and then ava's vows are about embracing the unpredictability that sarah brings to her life and understanding how valuable that is and how much she's come to depend on it and things like that so the vows highlighting that we have taken elements of each other and internalized them and made them part of who we are which again shows you how valuable the relationship has been because they've made each other different and arguably better people as a result 
And in that vow conversation as well that Ava has, that was one of the strongest moments between her and Gary, which I thought was absolutely fantastic in the final episode. As much as everyone rolls their eyes at Gary, there was that great moment where he's given fantastic advice to her and she asked him to walk her down the aisle. And I'm like, oh, that's just a brilliant turn on that relationship as well, that friendship. Yeah, that was all good. And then the fact that their union proves to the mushroom god, (laughs) the giant alien being that is a mushroom that protects the earth, but only sometimes, that humanity is viable. Because John trying to poison it was like, yeah, you're on your own, losers. See you later. (laughs) I'm just going to die over here. Even if you resurrect me, I'll just leave you alone. But then it's their declaration of love tells this being that, no, no, there's more to it than some crazy English guy that tries to poison me. And I'm going to protect the earth again. And it's a cheesy love saves the day type thing but it really fit it was really on brand and then when that transposed itself into the fight sequence where they were all swapping powers Ava with her steel arm and things like that again it shows that the team are stronger as a result of being together and they give things to each other that they didn't have before and they complete each other in ways that they obviously wouldn't be completed if they didn't know each other it's that idea of family and togetherness and connection that they really hammered home there. And then Spooner being the one passing around that power also facilitated her as, you're part of the group now, you're part of Mm -hmm. this family now. So even though it was probably a fairly basic fight scene in terms of how they've done it before, there was so much meaning behind it. And it all tied into that, we're all a family thing. And they do it better than a Fast and Furious movie, it has to be said. (laughs) Vin Diesel, eat your heart out. Don't see him with a steel arm. I mean, they might as well have one. Not yet. Give it time. And I was about <laughs> to say they don't have a spaceship either, but give them time. No, no, they do. They went to space in the last All right, one. okay. It was in a car, but they did it. I always find the family stuff in this show to be very sincere. It works really well. They definitely showed that in this final episode. Like you say, it was the true collaboration moment. Everyone swapping around powers as and when they needed them kind of thing. And then them all coming together to give Ava and Sarah that if you're going to die today, you're going to die today as a married couple. You're going to die together. And doing it as the big family bit, that works. And Legends does that really, really well. And now that you've said that it's like Fast and Furious talking about family, you've now ruined it for me. <laughs> that's all i'm gonna hear anytime that they say we're a family now i'm just gonna be thinking fast and furious who looks better in a vest vin diesel or katie lots stupid question <laughs> <laughs> but just for the avoidance of doubt we won't answer it <laughs> quite obviously the perfect human just saying we've answered the question all right <laughs> anyway carry on <laughs> yeah exactly speaking of family one person that had a lot of family drama personal family drama over the season was Mick. It started off with him becoming a grandfather when his daughter showed up and she was pregnant and Mick was enraged. I mean, he always is. I really liked that plot. It was obvious what way it was going to go because Mick, and even when Lita showed up, she even said, he runs hot, but he'll calm down and then he'll understand what's going on here. So it's good that she understands that and she doesn't really resent him for missing another couple of years of her life. And then there's this bit about accepting responsibility. So she talks about how the pregnancy was an accident, but she and her boyfriend are going to accept responsibility for it because they got themselves into that mess and now they're willing to live with the consequences. And that's a continuation of what happened with Mick, as in she was an accident. She wasn't planned. 
he didn't intend to father a child and then he missed all of her life. It wasn't that much later for him. It was only a couple of weeks sort of thing because of time travel. But for her, he missed out on her entire life up to that point and tried to make up for it later, at least from her perspective. So there is that bit about the acceptance of responsibility and facing up to quote unquote mistakes. There's a larger debate to be had over whether fathering a child is a mistake in of itself, whether it is intended or not. And we won't have that debate here because I am not equipped to have that (laughs) debate. But at the same time, it's in there. It's a question that comes up. And certainly for Mick, he starts off with the, I'm going to kill your boyfriend because of what he did to you. And then he ends up moving him to tears, which is funny. You kind of knew it was going to happen, but at the same time, it's still funny when it does happen. So that was a good story about Mick coming to that realisation. Yeah, coming to that realisation and then realising that he can do better and then promising that he's not going to do that again. You see that happening through the then accidental alien pregnancy where he decides, I'm not going to make the same mistakes that I made the last time. He's learned from it. He's developed from it. It's showing real character growth, even in the absurdity of what is the alien pregnancy. It's, I'm still going to have these babies, and I'm still going to treat them as my own, and I'm still going to defend them in the way that I didn't before. It's a development in that character. Yes, some of the beats were a little bit obvious, and you could see where they were going to go, but I still appreciated it for what it is. I think it was a very human story, a very... I was going to say grounded. It's legends. It's never grounded, but closer (laughs) to the ground than usual for legends. Yeah. In the case of Lita, it's breaking that cycle of bad parenting in the family because Mick burned his parents to death, obviously, because of his father being unfit. He always saw himself as an unfit father, and he was starting to mellow on that in recent times once he realised that Lita did enjoy having him in her life and appreciated having him in her life at the point that he came into it. And then appreciated that he wanted to be there for his grandchild as well. So it is breaking that cycle of bad parenting. It's Mick learning from that as well. As you say, he wants to do right by his weird hybrid alien babies that are ready to hatch out of his nose, (laughs) which is really funny. And he comes around to the idea of, of being pregnant. And I really like it was in the final episode where Kayla was working on the ship and it's the eggs and he turned every 15 minutes. And he just softly says, I got it. And then he just... Slowly just turning them, just lovingly turning them. That shows you how committed he is to that. Although what I would say is the Mick-Kayla relationship is always where they drop the ball because they told you about all these fun adventures that they had and this epic romance that grew out of those adventures, but you don't see them. Mm. You only see the aftermath of it, which was disappointing, which meant that every time that Mick would talk about how much Kayla meant to him and... Anytime they did any work on their relationship, anytime they exploited their connection in any way, it didn't work. Yeah, because we didn't see as much of the relationship before he left her on the planet. You didn't see any of it, really. Yeah, exactly. So the impact of that decision, that betrayal, you don't really get. And I suppose we get to see more of the repair in that relationship than we do the farming of it. And maybe it is the fact that we kind of get what, is need from the plot point of view, but maybe not from filling out the story. I don't know if we could have done standalone Mick is off with his new romance episode when you've already had several episodes of Sarah being split from the group. I don't know if that would have worked as well. I don't know, but the fact that so much of the season 
plot, especially where he's concerned, hinged on how close mm. that connection was, meant that not seeing how close that connection was weakened it quite considerably. Because when Kayla turned back up and she was a mole to betray them, to get her tentacle regenerated and whatever else, it meant that the betrayal had no real weight because we had no reason to expect that she wouldn't betray them. Yeah, because the most that we've seen is that she then got abandoned on the planet. Yeah, so it's a shame that we didn't get to see that because it would have been a lot of fun just seeing Mick and Kayla just tearing the galaxy up by themselves. That would have been a good fun episode to have or a couple of episodes to have. They'll get their own standalone series now. This is it not going to be in pilot season? Surely it should be in pilot season. <laughs> Another spin-off yes. that says Mick and Kayla. Yeah. <laughs> well, he is off with her, isn't he? Yep. The ongoing adventures. <laughs> the ongoing adventures, yeah. Heatwave and Kayla, that's what the show would be called. <laughs> Remember when it used to be called Heatwave? Mick leaving the show, it was done well in some ways. It was done poorly in other ways. The problem with the finale is there was so much going on that his departure just felt like one of those things that was going on. His final scene with Sarah where they discussed how far they'd come after being the two original members of the team. We were different people back then, etc. And it's it's completely true. I mean, when you watch the pilot episode of the show after seeing Mick in The Flash, did you ever expect <laughs> any of the stuff that they would do with him in this show? The answer is no, because he was nothing. He was just a guy that liked to set things on fire. Over the years on this show, they've really fleshed him out in massive ways and given him weird but amazing character details like he's an author, he's creative, he's sensitive in his own way he's all sorts of other things and taking the time to address the fact that no we are way different people than we were when we started this adventure was a nice touch it's a shame he didn't get a goodbye with the rest of the team though because he's made a big impression on quite a lot of them in fact on everybody in their own way yeah i will agree with you there with the finale being as busy as it was I don't think either of the send-offs in it were particularly amazing. I feel that Mick leaving should have been a bigger deal. I know that the Legends have people come and go on a regular basis, but this is one of the last OG Legends going out. This should be a bigger thing than it is. It was right that the conversation that he was having was with Sarah, but yeah, I would have liked to have seen something ongoing from there with the rest of the team, with him announcing he was leaving or them waving him off. There should have been something getting passed around there rather than it just being that one conversation. 100% with you on those characters are completely different. I mean, the show is completely different from what was originally pitched. (laughs) The first season of Legends and the most recent season, you would not match those two up. It was a totally different show in the first thing. You know, it began with a time ship and a sort of Doctor Who-y kind of thing going on with People who have no consequence stolen from other shows to save the world. You, they're completely disposable. To They have their own time ship and now they just jump around time solving things that they normally cause. It's, it's a totally different show and totally different characters from what they are. They've had a huge amount of development off screen, on screen as well. Between what they were in their original shows, I constantly forget that Mick was essentially a character in The Flash. He was like a side villain on The Flash. (laughs) So, yeah, tons of development between all of them. And I think it's a shame that he's leaving the show. He was kind of a, while the rest would all be getting giddy, he's the character that brings them back down to Earth. Or comes up with the simpler solution to the problem that's ongoing. And I think they're going to be missing that. A little bit. But I think that's kind of a key component. When you've got all these zany characters and powerful characters going about, you need someone to bring them down to Earth. From a guy that has a flamethrower to father of alien squid babies. (laughs) 
<laughs> in a few short years. Yes. Who'd have thought it? A published author, a <laughs> renowned author, and the father of squid babies from small-time crook, thief, and arsonist. Just brilliant. So, on to the second departure. John Constantine left the show. I can't say it's not timely because a character like that is so volatile, there's only really so much you can do with them. And I think Matt Ryan said that himself, although I don't know if he was just sugarcoating it because he was told, if you want to stay on this show, you need to switch characters because they're using John Constantine and Justice League Dark, this movie they're making. Despite the fact that they said at DC Fandom last year, they didn't care about different versions of the same character rattling around. That seems to have changed. So now you're off. But you can still be on the show as long as you play a different character. That's exactly what they said, word for word. He did say that probably not a lot more they could have done with him. And I do agree with that because he is a character that by his very nature destructive and self-destructive. So you either fix that or you break it. And this season they went to breaking it after trying to fix it, which I found a bit confusing. His relationship with Zari 2.0, because 1.0 we'll talk about in her brief appearance, his relationship with Zari 2.0 seemed to be a good thing for him initially because she was giving him some semblance of self-worth. He believed that he was worth something. He believed that he could be better. He believed that he'd do better. And then he lost his magic and then became addicted to a drug that gives him his magic back, which reverts him back to an earlier point. But you get that situation where Zari 2.0 says to him, you choose me or the drugs. And then he chooses her, which surprised me at the time. And she pledges to help him through it and stuff like that. And then he falls off the wagon thanks to Bishop again. And he becomes a pseudo antagonist for the final couple episodes. But up until that point, I could see why he would revert to descending into his addiction once again, because it's interesting how you get this two steps forward, three steps back type mentality that he does. He's progressing. He's getting better. He's feeling like part of something. And then it doesn't take much for him to just fall off again and fall back on old habits. So I understood that, although I was expecting him to overcome it. And he doesn't, because at the end of the show, he says to Zari, I recognise that I'll always be this way, but also I've learned what I'm missing, which resets him without resetting him. And that was disappointing. So he's out there thinking, oh God, if I was better, I would have such a better life. But here I go, soul's bound to a demon again, whatever, back to the old routine. And that's... Really disappointing if you consider the growth that he had over the run of the show when he was here. Yeah, I've got to agree with you on it. I think what they did with the addiction storyline was very powerful. I think it was pretty well done. But like you say, there's slight inconsistencies through the relationships. I think his relationship with Zari 2.0 has always been a little bit odd, in my opinion. But it's supposed to be, though. It's supposed to be, and it's supposed to be her bringing out his different sides and that sort of connection. Like you say, he feels worthy because he's with her, but the thing that gives him more self-worth than her is the fact that he is this powerful magic being. He's able to accomplish these things. If he has no magic, what is he? He's her boyfriend, and only her boyfriend. So that's when he goes and he wants power. And then not only does he then want power, he wants the most power that he can possibly get. He's went back to low-level magic, and he, he's not wanting to do that. That's not what John Constantine is. He wants to have worth to Zari, but he also wants to have worth to the team, and he wants to have worth in the wider world. That's his thing. The fact that he's able to do magic. So you can see why he would end up down that path, and it's a slippery slope once you're there. 
and then all the questionable decisions that happened from that. The fact that he had that conversation with Zari where he's going, that's me, I've got to pour it all down the sink. It's all going to be good from here. I've decided I'm not going to do this life anymore. It's all done. And then Bishop just catches him, doesn't he? This inner demon speaks to him and goes, right, we can be powerful, you're making rubbish calls. I suppose you can say that the inconsistency from the decision-making on that point is because it's more of like a magic addiction than it is just an addiction. It's like another being inside him, this worse Constantine that's sort of leading him astray. It's not your standard addiction. But yeah, there was slight inconsistencies from that. The fact that they're taking the character off the show, I think it's about time. It's this weird thing with Legends, because they jump about all the different themes and the different premises each season where it'll be oh this season it's aliens have fallen through time the previous thing was there's magic beings turning up at times that they shouldn't it makes sense to have constantine around for that but there's only so long that you can keep a powerful character like that around and on the magic front you've already got astra on the team and you've still got astra on the team even though it's a slightly lower level of power that she's got. So that spot's kind of filled already. And I guess if you've not got anything else to do with the character at that point, and if their one trademark isn't going to be a key part of your show anymore, why would you keep a character like Constantine hanging about? He's a very big presence. You've got to tailor stories around them. Otherwise, they just kind of sit there like a spare part. So I think it was time for Constantine to go off and do his own thing or have another calling that he had to run off and do. I don't think necessarily killing him off in the show sense is quite where they needed to go. But yeah, he should have been, there's other things I need to do. I've got other commitments, realms to protect and souls to heal and whatnot. I'm going off to do that. I'm not going to be going on time travel japes with you for the next season rather than just my soul's now owned by someone else. The mushroom got rid of me and my soul has now been taken again and goodbye and disappearing off. It's good that they're keeping Matt Ryan around on the programme because I think he's a good actor. But again, it's it's one of these ones with legends. The actors never disappear. The actual characters <laughs> change, but the actors stay the same. <laughs> they get to play umpteen yeah. different variations of time clones, alternate universe versions, and their past family members it is very odd so it didn't seem like a true goodbye but maybe that's because we talk about it on the podcast and we talk about it off air as well i know what's going on behind the scenes and that he's going to pop up next season there will have been some people who were watching this episode going oh i can't believe that john constantine's going and then next season he's going to crop up again (laughs) it's gonna be like oh they've done that again Well, yeah, he'll be playing an ancestor or something, I'm not quite sure. They've named the character, which I'll look up for later, but yeah, Matt Ryan is playing a different character. But yeah, he's the one credited as a special appearance by in every episode. So that's still going to be the case, even though he's in the cast. And I just think that him leaving the show, fine, but I would have liked to have him leaving better than when we found him. I don't get that feeling at all. The only bit of development seems to be, I now understand what I'm missing by being the way I am. But... You did get better by being around these people. That's the whole point. These characters make each other better. Zari made you better. And the fact that you're now no longer better because you've decided not to be is a bit of a slap in the face to all the work they've done on him. It's a bit like in the finale of Smallville, spoilers, when they erased Lexi's memory. What's the point in the seven years of development that we had for the guy? It's not the same for John because, again, he'll remember everything. But he's just going back to what he used to do. 
just lonely, traipsing about, fighting demons and whatever, without making connections after he spent however many seasons he was on the show making connections. It's just a shame that he gets to leave without really developing, despite the fact we saw it happen. I think we've seen it happen, but maybe they're resetting the character so that if he pops up in anything else, he will be exactly the Constantine that there was at the beginning. It's not very satisfactory for us who have watched that development, but for them, if they do another Constantine thing or pull him into something else in whatever way, they can go, oh, he's this way because he's back to the default Constantine to get used in whatever plot, however you see fit. But he never lost his edge. He got better, but he never lost his edge. So there was always that to him. And when he lost his magic, that was one thing. But they seemed to set him up as a bit of a mentor for Astra. And that would have sustained him for a while. Yes and no. Because it gets very boring very quick that, oh, you're not doing this spell properly or you've done this spell and you've ruined things and you've caused problems and now I've got to solve them. It's a load of tropes and things that we've kind of seen before. Astra could be his Pokemon. Astra, cast that fire spell. That should deal with this. Yeah, do that spell. And then the spell goes wrong and it's like, you're terrible. You're an awful apprentice. And then she gets a huff and goes off and then casts a spell that causes more mayhem and more things go wrong. I don't know. It's a bunch of stuff that you've kind of seen before. And And it means that you have Astra without that guidance maybe making those mistakes on the show in the next season, I guess. But she seems to have a lot of her power under control, not to Constantine levels, but she's doing a lot of stuff in this final episode where she's conjuring flowers out of thin air and doing lots of zappy stuff during the fight sequence. Or turning herself into... A paperweight, <laughs> yes. In the final episode on the Wave Rider, so they could spy, turn herself into. Pit. So there's stuff like that going on where you're like, okay, so she's got a use. She's got legends level powers. <laughs> I can cause a breeze that knocks people over. I can throw this red power thing at people that knocks them over, and I can turn things into paperweights and conjure up flowers. So she's got Legends-level powers. Not Justice League-level powers, she's got Legends-level powers. <laughs> Whereas Constantine seems a level above that, so that maybe fits? I don't know. It depends on what they're doing next season. It really does, because a lot of these characters, what do you do with them next? What do you pull them into? And I can think of little plots and little bits, but I'm like, how does that develop? How do you build on that? And that's where the strength of the writers on this show have been, is developing these characters from what they were in that first season, where there was just a list of, and also characters from other shows and bringing them in on their own and making them stand as part of this group. Yeah, and the addiction story was really well done. The writing was really sharp and the acting was superb. I firmly believed that he was losing it and Mm. that he was so consumed by this addiction. Just the way he performed it was just so visceral every time. And I also like that he was acting unusually, but not so unusually that people would outwardly notice it. You had that bit where Bayrad was like, you seem a bit weird, but okay, I'm going to allow it. It's fine. It's just the way you are. So it's the idea that his personality was changing, but not so massively that everybody was aware of it and worried about him. And you always have that where people are acting a bit funny, but you don't really question it. And that's really hard to get on television because normally they beat you over the head with, look how different they're acting. And then you have characters that dismiss it, even though they shouldn't. But in this, it was subtle enough that you understood why people would might dismiss it. And then when it does become known, Bayrad's like, oh my God, I should have noticed that before. 
because you could see the penny drop. Yeah, it was the fact that they showed him becoming more closed off from the others. A bit like what I said about Sarah with the healing ability. You know, the fact that he began to be really renegade with his powers, with this extra power that he had. It was all that. It was the losing control. And like you say, so well acted, really, really well done, which is why I'm glad that he's staying for the next season, despite the fact that I've got my problems with legends actors not actually leaving the show where you get all these character exits but you don't get the actor exits so it kind of cheats you emotionally in a way towards the end of the season but i'm glad that he's staying on because the potential there is great we've seen how well he can act in this show yeah and you mentioned about the inner demon that he was fighting against i mean that's an obvious metaphor for the addiction and that cluedo episode he was the killer it was his darker side that was the killer in that scenario and then that darker side continued to plague him in the following episode until he finally gave into it. And you get the impression that that's kind of what he's always been fighting against. It's just been intensified by this drug that he's taking because he has always been addicted to magic. That's a common thing with him. The whole reason that Astra wound up in hell with her soul bound to a demon was because he was addicted to magic and didn't understand what forces he was meddling with. Obviously, over time, he becomes more aware of how it all works. But he's always seen himself as damned. He's always been self-destructive. And he got free of that last season when Astra gave him his coin back and stuff like that. I guess he didn't know what to do with himself. And the only road he could take was back to that because he doesn't know how to be better. But at the same time, I kind of wanted to see him end his run on the show as a better man. Where he kind of is, like I said... As in he understands what he's missing out on, but also he isn't any better because he's still allowing himself to fall into those traps. Yeah, well, you only kind of got that in the final episode for the bit where he's, I'm sacrificing myself to the mushroom. But then, like you say, by the tail end, you get the, oh, no, back, reset, done. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he has that goodbye with Astra that's really good. It's the, you're my biggest failure, but also my greatest success. Mm. That understanding of, he did redeem himself for that in a way. He made up for it by giving her her life back. And that's something that he sees as a massive victory on his part. And yeah, it is. It's something that he managed to, because of this team, repair. Not just by himself, because the rest of the team helped her find purpose as well. But he had a part to play in that. Yeah, totally agree with you. And next season, I've looked it up, he is going to be playing Matt Ryan. That is, is playing a character called Dr. Gwyn Davies, who is described as an eccentric early 20th century scientist who might be the team's only hope. Yeah. Against what? We don't know. <laughs> a blown up ship, I guess? Yeah, whoever's on other Wave Rider, I, I don't know. We can talk about that in future plans. Yeah. The name suggests he's going to actually get to be Welsh. <laughs> That's going to be weird to see on screen. He is actually Welsh, Matt Ryan. So there you go. That's probably what's going to happen. It's like when they brought back Maisie Richardson Sellers and she got to use her British accent as opposed to whatever accent she was doing before, the American ish one. That's just going to be weird to see. It is, but we'll enjoy it probably. And there'll be an episode where they dress him up as John Constantine because they have to talk to one of his former contacts and they'll have to pretend to be John Constantine and put on the voice poorly. We'll see that happen. Oh, that's almost guaranteed, isn't it? That's a very Legends (laughs) thing to happen, definitely. Yeah. So it's a shame that he doesn't get any better, but good while he was here. 
and they did really good stuff with him this season. The addiction stuff was first rate. Like I said, or alluded to earlier on, it's maybe a bit too heavy duty, a bit too dark for this show, but also it was really good. It's a good point to come on to Zari 2.0, I guess, because of their connection. I won't say that she's defined entirely by her relationship to John because she isn't, but he does give her something important. She admits to other people and to him that she loves him because... He's the only person that she feels she can truly be herself around. And they have that whole episode, the talent show episode, where she deals with her fractured sense of self-worth and her fractured identity because she spent so much time in her life trying to be a brand, trying to be presentable for social media purposes, trying to project a false, perfect version of herself to the outside world, all that stuff. But John doesn't care about that. And when she's playing the game, so to speak, in that, talent show episode he's annoyed at her for that like, why are you capitulating to these idiots be yourself and she eventually gets sick of behaving that way eventually gets sick of playing that game playing up to the cameras playing up to an audience and learns how to be a bit of herself and that's reflected actually in the way her voice changes a little bit because it stops being that over the top i don't want to say airhead voice but you know what i mean mm that kind of voice but her tone changes the way she speaks changes the way she dresses changes the way she conducts herself changes after that point where she suddenly comes to the realization of who am i trying to please here and what good is it doing me i'm going to be myself now and that's something that she massively learns and that was a great progression for her it's amazing what tala ash is capable of with this character because you do get the zari 1.0 performance and then you get the zari 2.0 it girl type performance and then you get the zari 2.0 not trying to be the it girl anymore performance, which is closer to Zari 1.0, but not close enough. So it's still different. And it's a progression from the image that she was trying to project to who she really is, but who she really is isn't the old version that we used to have on the show. It's really confusing, but it's really well done. And you can tell there's a massive distinction there. It's really interesting. It must be a ton of work for her to do and to try and concentrate on between scenes and shots, especially when stuff is sometimes filmed out of sequence or out of order and keeping track of it all must just be a nightmare. So the work that she does on that is brilliant. The character progressing, again, it's it's what we've said through this, is that Legends does really, really well at the character progression. The fact that through the last season and so we've seen the social media it girl thing, the image drop and the attention to that drop, it doesn't make sense when she's on the wave rider and she's out saving the world and the timeline and all that sort of business, does it? Her focus has changed. She's realised that there's more out there than the likes and the shares and the follows and the business empire that she's created. And like you say, she realises that mainly through that episode, ridiculous and OTT as that episode is. It stands out as one of the moments through that, that realisation. So yeah, I agree with you. She gets something more out, out of her relationship with John and also out of being a legend. Between that and the sharing of the totem as well. The responsibility mm. between the two of them, where they have the split totem instead of it being, oh, well, who gets to wear it today? The development of that relationship with her brother and that understanding is a lot better through this. And you're right, by the end of the season, I would say that she is closer to 1.0 than she's been through the rest of the show. But she never will be because she's a completely different person. Yeah, Like I say, closer to that character in her stance, but no, she's not going to be the exact same. That's not the end game that they've got planned there, I would say. 
because that character had completely different experiences, completely different timelines, so they're never going to see 100% eye-to-eye on things. One of them was never going to be social media obsessed, were they? That was never an option. It is weird, though, that I've learned to share with my brother, so now we both get a totem. (laughs) That's not the lesson. That's not how sharing works. (laughs) It's when she let Zari 1.0 out of the totem, that was really good. Even though they didn't really do an awful lot with having her back, she was back for two episodes, one of which she barely appeared. Three episodes, if you include the one scene at the end of the one that she got let out. See, that felt like more because they had to do a story with Nate than that they had to do a story with Zari 1.0. That felt like, a, oh, we've not really done a Nate episode this season. Well, who are we going to pair Nate up with? We've trapped his girlfriend in a totem. Oh, we'll get the girlfriend out the totem for an episode. Maybe I'm being a bit too cruel on the writing at that particular thing, but it just seemed like we need an eight episode, so here's how we're going to do it. Yeah, although they did have Zari 1.0's fatalist view of the relationship. There's no way this can work. I spend most of my time in a totem. You spend most of your time outside of a totem, so how does this work? And it's a analogue for a long-distance relationship and the questions around, are those viable? Should they work? Should they not? And Zari is predisposed to let everything end let everything die because that's just the way she is she believes that everything's gonna go wrong whereas nate thinks it probably is gonna go wrong but i'm gonna choose to believe that it won't and eventually zari comes around to her way of thinking and then they spend time with that other couple which was really funny (laughs) and that bit where they both agree no no they're terrible people (laughs) that was really good it's that trope of the people who have got everything sorted for the camping trip, isn't it? They've <laughs> got a pizza oven with them. I mean, that is my kind of camping, I've got to be honest. That is more my style of camping. I don't have the money for that style of camping. You drain your car battery. <laughs> yeah, drain my car battery making pizzas. It's a good relationship with those two characters, but yeah, Zari 1.0, I would come down more on her view. This weird, it's a long distance, but not quite a long distance relationship is not going to pan out how you want because you're in the land of the living and I'm not essentially. The only way we get to see each other is through that totem and there's no way of confirming that that's always going to be available. I'm guessing that she does not age while she's in that totem. That's her in there now. Whereas Nate is going to age, presumably. Mm. I don't know. I don't know the workings of the totem. The magic of the the totem soul room thing that they've got going on there. So yeah, I kind of come down on her more fatalist view on it, that it's not going to work. But it was good seeing her back on screen again. I do like it. I think it's a good relationship. Just it seemed to me that we're doing something with Nate in this episode. Everyone else is getting little standalone stories. So this is Nate's particular episode. This is Nate's turn to get a storyline in this episode, a subplot. Everyone else gets a subplot. Some get more than others, but this was his. On the fatalist view of long-distance relationships, speaking as someone that was in one for almost three years, it worked fine until it didn't. That's all <laughs> I'll and I do have a friend that's been in a long-distance relationship for God knows how many years and seems to be fine. So I don't think it's necessarily as doomed to failure as any other relationship, really. At the end of the season, which one is still active? Zari 1.0 and Nate or Zari 2.0 and Ooh. John? Burn. Feel the burn. Yeah. Yeah. Take that, Zari (laughs) 2.0. That's a shame. I love them both. I think they're both great. And on the subject of Nate, he's a character that on previous podcasts, I have talked about how much the guy annoys me. And maybe I'm not always fair to them. But actually, I felt really connected to him in one episode this season. And it's where everyone is getting on each other's nerves. And if they're angry, they'll summon a giant carnivorous worm. So they have to remain calm. And then Nate just goes nuts because he's the only one that doesn't have anything going on in his life. 
<laughs> this point is, you guys are getting married. You're having kids that are alien egg babies. You're doing this. You're doing this. And what am I doing? I'm doing nothing. I'm just sticking around. Reliable Nate, whatever. Not even a plus one to the wedding because that's just how pathetic I am. And then he goes and saves the team because he goes and fights the worm or whatever. But I really like that moment. I think we can all relate to the fact that you look at other people in your life and you see all the stuff they're getting up to and you think to yourself, where am I going? <laughs> How am I progressing? Am I amounting to anything? Is anything I'm doing worthwhile? Am I achieving anything? Am I successful? Etc. Nate's outburst completely embodied that feeling of being stuck in your own life. I can personally relate to that several times over. I'm sure everybody can to some degree, but you can understand that Nate feels a bit stuck and they don't really resolve that this season either. He remains the way he is. I mean, he does embrace, and he always has embraced, the fact that he's part of this Legends family. And he's one of the people championing the, let's have a wedding instead of hitting a punching bag for a few hours to prepare for a fight or whatever, because we're already ready for it. We'll have some fun, we'll have a wedding, and we'll go out on our own terms, that sort of thing. But you don't really get a resolution for Nate finding a renewed sense of purpose. And I think we can all relate to that as I said, to some degree. I think we can all understand where he's coming from there. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that was a good character moment for him. So you're not about to say, no, my life's perfect. I'm achieving everything I set out to achieve. Yeah, screw you. My life is great. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, yeah, like you say, it's the relatable moment. Everyone else is getting on and he screams out and summons the carnivorous worm and goes out and has a fight. He uses that to get his frustrations out. I think the resolution to that particular moment for him was when he then gets to spend a bit of time with Zari 1.0. The rest of the team realise that he needs that time. He needs that connection. All that does is give him an oasis in the middle of his being lost, though, rather than fix it for him. It doesn't fix it, but an occasional visit to the oasis is relaxing, isn't it? (laughs) That's the thing. It's not a long-term fix. That's never going to be a long-term fix, as we've discussed. And that's very real. You have a good couple of days and you don't feel so hopeless, but then once those days pass, once that event passes that you were building up to or that you feel like you achieved, then it just comes back. You start feeling useless and unaccomplished again. And am I just confessing things on this podcast now? Has this now become about me feeling hopeless? (laughs) Damn it, Nate. (laughs) It's all your fault. I hate him again. (laughs) How dare you hold up a mirror to my life and make me see myself, you scumbag with perfectly styled hair. Idiot. Uh, we're now going to pause the recording of the podcast while Craig goes outside to fight a giant carnivorous worm. Yeah, that's what that rumbling is. <laughs> <laughs> or the other answer is, that's no way to talk about my current flatmate that I'll soon be getting oh, rid of. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> She's not here to hear it and she'll never hear this. But anyway, how many times will I just open up and confess to deep-seated insecurities on podcasts? I'm just going to start doing that. I'll make that my thing. I'll just make it awkward for everybody concerned. But no, I do understand where Nate comes from. Obviously, I run this blog and podcast, and there isn't a day goes by where I look at stats or whatever and think, oh my God, is this going anywhere? And that's exactly how Nate feels, in a way. His blog isn't gaining any traction either, his history blog. I assume he has one. <laughs> A time traveller with a history blog. No one reads it because it sounds like nonsense. It's not the same thing, but he's looking at the people around him. If you look on social media, which I actively try to avoid, you see people trying to present this perfect version of themselves and it's easy to get caught up in that and you find it a bit demoralising. And I think Nate's feeling that about the rest of the team because they're all moving on in their lives and he isn't. And that's his big freak out moment. 
And yeah, he does get that time with Zari 1.0 and he gets to convince her that even though the relationship's probably doomed, it's worth having a go anyway because they need to have some hope in their lives. But by the end of the season, he's still not really anywhere. And maybe next season will be about him getting a new friend or something. Because ever since Ray's gone, he's been a bit stuck. Yeah, they've done moments with him and Berad, but it's not quite been the same as what he had with Ray, has it? It's a different kind of relationship, and they've tried to replicate some of it, and it's not quite worked the same way. I just want to reach down the microphone and give you a hug, mate. Oh. <laughs> reach down and give you a hug. But yeah, I think you're right. What you've said and the way that he's presented, it gives him a little bit of respite, but it's not going to be the long-term fix for Nate. He's one of those characters that I don't know what else they can do with him. I have him in the same box as Constantine, but for different reasons. I'm trying to work out what you do with Nate. He's the historian, so he gets used as a bit of a MacGuffin delivery sometimes, you know, a bit of information delivery. But I don't know how you use him creatively going forward. I'm probably a bigger fan of the character than you are, I would guess, going by previous podcast appearances and such. I would read Nate's history blog. (laughs) I don't know what in future seasons he can do. It seems harsh to say, but he's just kind of there. He's part of the team, and I suppose that's enough. If he's a legend, he's part of the team, he's taking part. I just don't know, apart from having these odd episodes or odd moments, what you can do with him. That's kind of the point, though, isn't it? What am I here for? Yeah. That's what he's asking himself. I suppose that's true, and maybe that'll be answered in the next season. Because two seasons ago, you had the stuff with his dad. Mm -hmm. Last season, Ray left this season wondering what his purpose is. I think it's interesting that the rest of the team admit we were so caught up in our own stuff that we didn't really consider Nate's situation. And from the other side of it, it can feel like that, where if you're going on about good stuff that's going on in your life and then other people around you are maybe not having such a great time of it, you can be a bit, I'm not saying you, the royal you, the expansive you. People can be a bit ignorant to what's going on in other people's lives when they're a bit hung up on their own stuff. It's not malicious. It's just one of those things where you just don't realise and it's not until you take a minute to have a look at what the other person's maybe going through or they'll open up about it that you're thinking, maybe I should have been more sensitive when I was bragging about all this stuff and didn't realise I was bragging about all this stuff. For example, Sarah and Ava going on about their upcoming wedding only reminds Nate of the fact that his girlfriend's stuck in a totem possibly never to be released again. And it's not that he's not happy for the fact they're getting married, but he's also reminded of what he's lost at the same time. There's no absolutes when it comes to being happy for someone. Being happy for someone can also come with a tinge of, I kind of wish I had that. That's very real. That's very human. That's very deep. And on the same token, it's we were so caught up in our own stuff, we didn't realise the impact this was having on someone else close to us. Again, that's very real. And they cop to that once they realise it, but at the same time... It's nobody's fault, really. I just want to reach down and give you a hug, mate. Going to get in the car now <laughs> instead of doing this well, remote. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was talking about Nate. I wasn't talking about me. But I was just talking about how these life events. They aren't just absolute, are mm. they? You can be happy for someone and envious of them at the same time. Yes. And that's kind of where Nate is. It's these moments that people have, and I imagine everyone's guilty of it. I'll go into self-confession mode. I've been guilty of it before. You hear someone getting an opportunity or a chance to do a thing, and you're like, why am I getting that opportunity? Why am I not doing that particular thing? Why am I not interviewing the chief from Battlestar Galactica? (laughs) Why am I not doing that? (laughs) 
link in the show notes, by the way. <laughs> oh, is this, are you just trying to fit in every interview in this podcast for the show notes? I'm going to have to look up and try and drop in more for you. I'm going to try and get every interview in now between now and the end of the podcast. <laughs> it's one where you do look up, I mean, especially in the age of social media. Social media is terrible for that because social media is that thing where everyone presents the best image. You do get to see folk having a great time, essentially, or what promotion they've got or where are they working now. People that were in school classes or that you used to work with or anything like that. Yeah, definitely. And it's very human and it came across well on the show that that's how he was feeling, especially with that outburst. It was pretty blatant during the outburst. Yeah, for sure. And we mentioned that he had a bit of back and forth with Bayrad, so we'll talk about Bayrad now, might as well. The big thing that he had was the sitcom episode, which I really liked. And that was about his formative experience watching this late night sitcom where there was a Muslim lead who was a stoner and he was conflicted because his parents wanted him to go down a certain route in life and he didn't want to. And he saw himself in this character and he saw his life choices as being valid because of this character. And it's this great recognition of the fact that the TV shows we watch have a massive influence on our lives. And also these TV shows you watch at two in the morning have this massive influence on your life. And there's a bit about representation in there as well. There is a Muslim lead in a sitcom. And that's important to Bayrad because he could see himself Mm. in that lead. That says so much about representation. And I love how casually they do it. Also, they mention it was cancelled and became a cult hit. And why was it cancelled? They don't explicitly say Possibly because it had a Muslim lead and it didn't work. And also, was it not the mid-20th century? Because that's where Bayrad's from. That tells you how slow progress is when it comes to representation as well. So that's all really good stuff. I really loved all that suggestion. And then when they changed the show, when the show became what the lead didn't want it to be, Bayrad became this soulless businessman who was not pleasant to be around. So it goes to show you that, no, no, just because these life choices aren't to everyone's taste, aren't what everybody would approve of. They actually helped shape Bayrad into the good, pure person that he grows up to be and that he is now that we see him in the show. Yeah, exactly what you said there. It shows how formative TV or or different things can be. All your influences, your heroes that you look up to or the people that you aspire to be help form you as you grow up. The nature-nurture debate that always goes on. It sort of showed it through that show. The only bit of that, I, I always get confused with legends about how time consistencies or inconsistencies work through the program, where people are affected by changes in the timeline or how quickly that impacts. I liked that it was a sort of slow dribble effect through the episode, and I think it worked for that particular episode, but I would need to go back and see how it works consistency-wise. Yeah, just don't worry about it. It's Legends, exactly. (laughs) The the thing is, I look at that and then I go, but hang on, this is Legends. It's the world of Bebo and other such things. But yeah, I thought it worked for that particular episode. I think it worked for that character. You got a few different insights into his life. This burger chain episode where he really prided himself on how he made a burger. (laughs) How good a chef. (laughs) The little chef-y glances, like even for the wedding at the end there, you see him preparing the canopies and stuff for the wedding. So yeah, I I sort of liked that we got little insights or more insights into his life in this other than just the he's a stoner jokes every few episodes. And then that episode where his life was changed because they changed the show, it didn't have the influence on him because they didn't 
respond to it in the same way. When his personality changes and he suits up, Astra starts off being interested in him because she just finds him attractive at that point. And then she quickly becomes less than interested in him because he's such a horrible person. Mm. I really like that. that It's what's on the inside that really counts, but also how he looks in a suit helped her take notice of him. And then after that, they start building towards something between them because she is then predisposed to pay attention to him after that point when she realises that there is merit there. Mm. Not that she didn't recognise it before as such, but she's starting to see more of that. And it took the, oh, you look good in a suit. For her to notice that. And then when she saw the personality suck, she was like, ugh, that's rubbish. And then she realizes that, yeah, the scruffy stoned Bayrad is the one we love. It's the one that I can connect with. And it's the one everybody connects with. And then it's all the stuff that doesn't happen among the team because he's not there. And it's especially poignant because he's a character that just appeared, but always felt like he was there. So it is believable that he had a massive influence on the team. So it's quite funny how that's a reverse of that in a way, where we went from not having him to having him in an instant. And then once we had him, it's almost like we can't live without this guy. That's funny that. I forgot about that, really, that he had just sort of appeared <laughs> in the end of the finale. Just like, ta-da, I was always here. Yeah, so that was a really good one. And the sitcom was really good. They've done a sitcom before, obviously, but it was an altered reality. But they were filming a sitcom inside of the show itself which was really cool. And it had all the cheesy quips and whatever else. They really leaned into it. They really did it really well. And when they had to get Zari cast in the show, or they tried to get her cast, she's like, I'm the perfect role for this. Well, they went with the white guy instead. (laughs) Again, another representation point that they made that was really well made. When they cast Nate as well, it was, he he seems like the guy you'd bring in in a second season (laughs) to fix the show, but it was just a great meta gag. Uh, There was a lot, yeah, to try try and save it in its second season, yeah. I, I liked what they did there. I imagine that's one of those episodes where there's loads of people working on the background on the sound stage and stuff who actually work on legends you would imagine so yeah i imagine there's a lot of little in gags and people who work on the program that appear in that particular episode in the background or at the craft table or whatever there will be in jokes in there yeah. that we as an audience are not going to be part of and they managed to make it being covid safe part of the plot as well where you had nobody in the audience really it's like, oh, this show was never popular. It gained a cult following at three in the morning with stoners. <laughs> That's why nobody's watching the taping of the show, because no one cares. And they did even better with social distancing during the Masked Singer ripoff episode <laughs> with the screens. That's true. That was a good variation on that. But it was a good development for Bayrad to get that. Here's my origin story. My origin story is that I took solace in this stoner comedy show that no one likes except me, and it helped shape who I am. And it is that influence it's also about that perception thing because there is a perception of this is what you should do in your life you should always be trying to get a better job you should always be trying to earn more money you should always be trying to achieve what someone else has defined as success capitalism version of success i suppose which is more money but that doesn't make you happy necessarily in fact it can do the exact opposite because you're working so many hours and you don't have time to do the things you like so you've got this money but you don't have anything in life to enjoy as such and that's what Bayrad managed to avoid by going against his parents wishes and he was inspired by this tv show so that's why we don't want to be successful okay got it no no, no i want to be successful <laughs> I, just, I don't want to work for it you're right it's that realization and i think they do well to put these things over in legends yeah they do they do very well it makes a very clear point and that episode makes a very clear point on a lot of things 
the representation side, the identity side, the influence side, the life choice side, everything. The representation stuff was especially powerful. And they just poke fun at it with Zari saying, they cast the white guy. <laughs> I'm the better choice and they cast the white guy. It was hard for her to take, but you can see why. You can understand why that decision would be made. Let's talk a bit about Gary. We've talked about him before. We talked about his connection to Ava and how she came to fully accept him, walk me down the aisle, etc. But the thing we really need to talk about is the fact that he's an alien. And always was. Balls. <laughs> Explain. Explain. No, he wasn't. No way. <laughs> this is a flashpoint crisis cast-off thing. It can't be. This has not been the way in the whole world. No, 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 no. Does that mean it was a demonic alien nipple? I <laughs> don't even know how to answer that. This has got to be a crisis-related thing isn't it this is a we've merged timelines and there's one through consistency and the multiverse things mashed together and now gary's an alien that's the only way they could explain this it cannot be that gary has always been an alien i will take a lot of stuff from legends i will not take gary being an alien from the start he's had his glasses off on multiple occasions plus like you say he has been magicked multiple times he has been scanned by gideon multiple times Gary has not been an alien from the beginning. I refuse to accept that point. It's always fun having Gary around. Gary could be one of these characters that they make really, really annoying, but I actually like Gary. I'd like to think that I'd be a really cool legend if there is such a thing, but I know that I'd ultimately be Gary. It's like in Star Trek. Who do you think you would be? It's probably Barkley. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'd like to think I'm one like the key crew, but no, I'm Barkley. <laughs> Who would you be on Legends? Gary. Gary. <laughs> That's exactly who I would be. That's where I would fit in on that particular pecking order. Gary always being an alien? Nah. Okay, it meant that he fitted in more into this particular plot. I don't get why they've done it. I don't quite understand, to be honest. It gave him a reason to have extra knowledge, particularly around mixed alien pregnancy. But they didn't do much apart from reveal that he was an alien and then go, oh well life carries on <laughs> but wasn't much of a but, but hang on what about yeah yeah i've always been an alien but but before no no always been an alien i can't even remember what the original reason was that he was sent to earth was it as a scout or was he hiding i can't even remember now it was to find information on sarah i think because he's the one that set up her abduction did he oh right okay i didn't even yeah i think he mentions that yeah <laughs> don't understand it makes it even weirder <laughs> it's one of those things that if you're looking to his history on the show i just don't uh, yeah he never has i like, no who would send gary because even alien gary is gary so why would the aliens why would bishop why would anyone send gary as the scout to capture sarah I suppose because he's the guy you would least expect of being an alien. I like the silly stuff they did when they were trying... I'm trying to remember what the name of the... Oh, what was the name of this stupid little baby thing? Gus Gus. Gus Gus. That was it. Yeah, because the episode was This Is Gus. I've just found it. Too late. Gus Gus, the little baby. When they did that, they had Gary in alien form because he couldn't find his glasses <laughs> with a rattle in his tentacles. 
thought it was brilliant. But the physicality of that alien, I don't know if it was actually Adam Seckman in the suit or not. I would like to think it is. The physicality of that alien. Yeah, the physicality was still Gary. <laughs> I would like to think it was him in the suit. It probably wasn't, to be honest. But whoever did it, the physicality was Bob on. And his performance shifted as well once the reveal happened because he spent most of his time with Sarah. And I think the reason that they did that was we need someone that Sarah can interact with who's familiar. Might as well be Gary. Can't be anybody else. So we'll make him an alien now. And he's always been an alien. And we'll let the fans chew over that. And <laughs> we're telling the fans that he's always been an alien. So they can't dispute it, even though that's what we're doing right now. And I'm going to rewatch the entire show. No, I'm not. And pick out all the points that prove that he's not an alien. <laughs> I'm pretty sure getting his nipple bitten off by a unicorn does it. <laughs> that pretty much proves that, I think. I don't know if we've ever seen him without his specs, though. I'm not sure. I don't think we have. Maybe we have? I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure we have. I'm pretty sure there's been scenes where he's been knocked over or whatever and the spectacles have been off. <laughs> I, there must have been. I'm no, like, you're, no, you're not sure. I'm not going to go through the yeah. entire show and try, but I know that he's been in the chair and been scanned by Gideon. I know that he's done magic with Constantine. Not that aliens cannot perform magic and stuff, but would Gary's soul look like the the holographic image? Surely Gary's soul would look like alien Gary, because that's the true Gary. So when he went to hell and got his hellhound and all that sort of stuff, he wouldn't look like Gary when he did that. Unless Gary's now adapted where his soul looks like Gary. (laughs) Well, the body goes to hell, though, doesn't it? They just went to hell. They don't cast off their bodies when they go there. Okay, so it wasn't like a soul thing. It's the body's go... Okay. And then he goes wearing the lasses, so then he looks like him. Because they went down to get Ray's soul. Maybe the glasses are enchanted in hell. (laughs) (laughs) It's a reveal I struggled with, but I liked how his performance shifted slightly. You could still tell it was him, but there was a little bit more confidence to it. And I liked how they played with it over the rest of the season as well. I love it in the Western episode where they're doing the dance in the bar. And John's like, you lied to me. And that really upsets me. Like, John was visibly upset by this. <laughs> these lies that he'd been told for these years. Like, I thought we were friends, Gary. I was an abusive friend, but we were friends. And, <laughs> and he's going around dancing with everybody, apologizing for lying to them all this time. It's really good. It's handled so well following the reveal that you're kind of willing to go with it. If they'd done the reveal and then it had ended up coming to nothing, where it's, you revealed this just to solve a plot problem, which they did. But at the same time, they made so much good character stuff with it later on. Oh, yeah. Now that it's in the show, it's in the show. It's it's a thing. It's legends. We have seen weirder and other stuff has happened. I think it's just one of those big continuity ones for me where I'm like, oh, is this pushing legends over the line for me? Have they finally <laughs> done it? Have they finally pulled that pin where I've went, hang on, legends. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up a second. I'll let you away with a lot. But... I've put up with a lot of crap over the years, <laughs> but this... This is just too much. I forgive you so many sins, Legends, but can I accept that Gary has been an alien the entire time? This isn't a crisis thing. It's just through continuity, Gary has always been. I mean, he's always been odd. He's always been weird. He's always been Gary. Very unique. But alien? Mm, Yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to spend too much time in the podcast about this. There's way more things (laughs) to discuss, but yeah, Gary being an alien. I'm just glad that we've still got Gary on the show. I have a lot of fun with Gary. If I was applying my same rules as Nate, I would say, what are we going to do with more Gary? But I enjoy Gary. (laughs) Enjoy Gary more than me. There's no limit to what you can do with Barry. Uh, Barry? Barry, Gary? Whoever. Whoever they get in. 
whatever his name is, mm. that guy. He might as well be called Barry now. He could be Barry. Alien, yeah. He always has been. What is his alien name? <laughs> What's Gary's alien name? Does it get said? I don't know. They don't tell you, do Because it's just Kayla. And, yeah. yeah. Kayla and Gary. Maybe Gary is his alien name. Who knows? Nothing wrong with an alien called Gary. And Kayla's his ex, which Mick doesn't ever address. You'd think he'd be a bit funny about being, well, not Gary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or Gary being jealous of Mick having babies with his former girlfriend. I don't know. Yeah, they don't yeah, touch let's, it. Yeah, it's let's not. To dwell let's on not. This. Yeah. On to our new character, Spooner. Esperanza is her actual name, but we'll just call her Spooner. I really liked her. At first, I thought she was about one note. She's a Texan that likes to shoot people because is there any other kind, apparently? But she had that whole missing life, missing family, missing answers. She didn't understand things about herself. She was afraid of this power that she'd been given because of this alien abduction. And throughout the season, she struggles with that. I really liked how they played with that. And eventually, when they got to the point where she connected with her mother, I thought that was really earnest, really moving stuff. And it offers a riff on what every legend has to go through at some point or another, where they're tempted to change history. And they have to make a decision on whether to do that. And it's different in this case because her mother helps convince her not to. Because you have to let your younger self be abducted by, as it turns out, the fountain mushroom thing. (laughs) So that you become this person standing in front of me. And there's a loophole there because her mother ends up getting saved. But history can still play out in very much the same way because the younger self still believes that all this happened. So it kind of loops back around and it almost gets to that point where it is a mistake because she is dying for a while and then they get around it and fix it. That was all really good stuff. And I love how she ingratiates herself with the team as well. I think she works really well. It's a different character to the others. Like you say, it's kind of a trope now in the Legends world of people joining the team and going, I do not fit in with any of you lot. You're all weird. I have no place here. I want to go off and do my own thing. Like you say, the time travel, I'm going to go back and I'm going to change my past. For Constantine, he went and tried to kick his dad in the nuts. That was his, I'm going to go back and fix this by erasing me from existence kind of thing. Where with Spooner, it's that choice of I'm going to stop myself getting abducted and then realises that this is why she was abducted and that adjustment. For me, she didn't fully work. Again, she was a bit of a MacGuffin thing at the beginning of the season which was, we've got a human alien detector who can go, where's the alien in this room? Oh, there it is. And it was a bit like, oh, right, oh, this isn't too great. It's just, like you say, a Texan that loves shooting people. Okay, so it's a bit of a fun stereotype thing that you're doing. The final couple of episodes saved the character, in my opinion. I think it was really, really strong stuff that they did there. The conversation she had with her mother in the final episode, I've never been so happy to be wrong. I don't want to be proven right. I don't want you now to be taken out by aliens. That saving her family home, sending her younger self, knowing what she was going to go through for the rest of her life up until that point, but knowing that the reward at the end of it is better. Incredibly strong stuff that you get from that. Well acted, and she fits in with the team. In the end, she does fit in with the team. Legends always astounds me with the people that they manage to pull in and suddenly make work in ways that you don't expect. So a good addition, again, depending on what they do in the next season or what the MacGuffin spread throughout time is next season. What do you do with an alien detector 
Texan. Uh, I don't know if she can still detect or not. It seems that her ability now is that she can swap powers between people. Yeah, she might have some kind of nebulous fountain ability that she Yeah, I'm imagining that's going to be the case. ability, whatever it is. Whatever yeah. ability she now ends up with on the back of being connected to the mushroom that has protected her for a long time. That's what she's going to have. When it feels like it. When it feels like it, from time to time, when the plot demands it, there will be a mushroom power. Not from Kryptonians. Doesn't go near Kryptonians. Doesn't mess with Kryptonians. Yeah, well, the mushroom thing. I mean, I don't know if we want to speak about it here or later on in the plot. The mushroom thing is just weird. That's just... Very odd. Again, I feel that's another crisis adjustment rather than something that's been in existence for all time because that mushroom has let a lot of aliens land on Earth. If we were doing a DC's what if, Clark Kent's pod is about to crash onto Earth and the mushroom twats it away with an invisible baseball bat. <laughs> yeah. It's like, nope, sod that, bing, yeah. <laughs> away it goes. <laughs> Cara Zorel, nope. Bing! <laughs> Off you go. That's it. To be fair, maybe that is how it worked in the Arrowverse when they had the original multiverse with very limited aliens at the beginning. Maybe that's how it worked. Didn't stop the Dominators. That's true. The Dominators are an exception to the rule. Maybe the Mushroom likes the Dominators. It doesn't really explain what it does to stop alien invasions, or maybe it's just deterring certain aliens. Because it was very specific, wasn't it? But actually, yeah, I don't know. But I did like the explanation of mushrooms are weird and they're like nothing else on Earth and they're aliens. It's a very Doctor Who thing, isn't it? Yeah. You could expect the Doctor to come up and be like, mushrooms, they're aliens, obviously. And then the companion be like, what? That would be a fact from there on. I like the reveal because at the beginning of this season, you're never going to go, oh yeah, the fountain is a mushroom. <laughs> That's a no. You're expecting the stereotypical, aren't you? You're expecting some sort of magic fountain behind some trees or behind a cave. And that's what they do in the Spanish Civil War episode. It's, it's in a cave and it's a pool that someone drinks from. You're not expecting it to turn out to be a massive mushroom thing at all. <laughs> so, yep, good rug pool legends. You've done it again with mushrooms. But yes, the mushroom always protecting Earth from aliens. Is it, though? Except when it doesn't. Except when it doesn't, in which case it's fine. This alien could come through. The mushroom has some sort of filtration. I think it's more of a deterrent to aliens that already know about it. (laughs) So, doesn't affect Kryptonians or whatever. That's my headcanon. If you're ignorant to the existence of the mushroom, you will not know. And therefore it's fine. It will let you pass. (laughs) It won't do anything. It won't do anything, because it's like, oh, they don't know I'm here. It's fine. That's cool. I'll let them vandalise, because they don't know the CCTV's in operation. (laughs) That's as good an explanation as any. Why not? I'll go for that. But with Spooner, I always like when they give a legend a random detail that you wouldn't expect, or just a random, innocuous, weird personality trait that you wouldn't see coming, such as Spooner just being brilliant at bowling. (laughs) That one episode, humanising her is probably too strong a word because she was already perfectly human before that, but it gives her just a bit more. Her life hasn't just been about living in a trailer, being paranoid about aliens, wearing a tinfoil hat sort of existence. She went bowling a few times, apparently, and she's really bloody good at it. And then they have to build up the tension in that episode by having her finger broken. That's about as tense as it gets. That's really good. (laughs) But there's a great moment of vulnerability in that episode as well, where Mick refused to take his gloves off to use the ball. And he shows her the burn and something about some scars you don't share with people or whatever it is. And she completely understands and then helps him solve the problem with fingerless gloves. Or some fingers, fingerless <laughs> gloves. I always like it when you just get a taste of mix inner feelings, inner depth, inner anxieties. And then Spooner picks up on that and she's like, no, fair enough. That's something we need to get past. And 
I think she finds a way of looping into different members of the team in different ways. Sarah likes her pretty early on. Sarah sees a bit of herself in her in a way. Yeah, I suppose she does. Like you say, they do introduce these little... I, I mean, the quirks like being able to bowl. That just seems like a plot of convenience, to be honest. Yeah, but it's one of those, well, there's no reason that she wouldn't be good at bowling. Yeah, there's no reason <laughs> that she'd be rubbish. They had the Astra's rubbish at bowling because there wasn't much bowling going on in hell. So, yeah, that tracks. It's a connection to her lost childhood as well. Yeah, exactly. It, it plays on that. It's something that she never got to do or didn't get to do much of. I get what you mean. I just feel that at the beginning she was a bit more of a MacGuffin rather than anything else. And we've seen a lot of, oh, it's XYZ joining the team here we now watch the typical three acts of joining the legends or the stages yeah. of joining the legends. Denial, grief, acceptance. She's the relevant addition for the season and they've done that before, of course. But she made sense. Yeah, I look forward to seeing what they do with her. Again, I, I question going forward, but they've surprised me with so many of these characters, so I'm not going to knock them on it at all. We talked a bit about Bishop. I wasn't keen on him as a villain. I never felt like he was a season threat in the same way that we've had season threats before. Every time he showed up, I always felt like he was a bit too over the top to be taken seriously. I never felt like he was a threat, even though they kept telling us that he was. And I just found him really annoying as well. Yeah, I've got to agree with you. I'm all for a zany villain in Legends. Too serious a villain doesn't work in Legends because the show itself is so ridiculous that if you have someone that's taking themselves too seriously, it, it can play too much against. It's too much of a contrast. This seemed to be the other way, where he was playing more up than the Legends were. Some of the plots this season were more grounded, which meant when he came in and started dancing his way around in the episodes, you were a bit like, oh, okay, this doesn't seem to be for me. And yes, he doesn't seem like the threat that he should be because his actual plan isn't really a true plan for the whole thing. He has the initial plan with Sarah, which is then gone. So when he reappears, you're like, okay, well, what's the thing now? It turns out it's going to be taking out humanity is his new plan. Oh, okay, that was a bit of a leap. <laughs> I'm now going to take out all of humanity because I wasn't much of a threat before where I was building an army of super Sarahs to take out the rest of the galaxy my plan now is up yours, humanity, and I'm going to do that by taking out the protective mushroom that you've been reliant on for far too long. Okay, I guess. I thought his plan was going to be that he was going to take a sample of the mushroom thing and then he was going to be as powerful as the mushroom thing or whatever. I didn't get why he was doing what he was doing. I didn't get the motivation for it. It seems like, oh, I've been planning this for so long, so long that Gary has been embedded with you for all these years. <laughs> I've been waiting, I've been patient, I've been making my army of Avas and I've had so many clones and I've lived so many lives and he just seemed like a really wacky villain, which is fine, I guess, in Legends terms, because there was interesting other stuff going on out with him, I guess. But yeah, as far as like a season threat goes, no, I didn't really get it. And his reason for wiping out humanity is that they were ruining the planet or something, it's really weird and out of left field. I mean, it's an environmentalist message, I suppose, but he hadn't done anything with it. I did like that he was waiting for John to try and outsmart him and knew that that would happen, and then he'd already engineered the way to outsmart him. What was it? The potion that he mm. made, and John drank it. 
It was the potion that John drank, not realising that Bishop has poisoned it, which is a bit stupid on John's part. Yeah, John thought that Bishop was going to drink it because he had kept it in his pocket. Bishop had kept it in his pocket the whole time. So then John thought he was going to drink it and absorb the power rather than John doing it. But then ultimately all along... Bishop had planned that John would take it. It's a bit like what you were saying earlier on about him getting captured. A lot of these plots rely on, I always knew that you would catch me, and then I always knew that you would hold me in the cell. I always knew you would let me talk to (laughs) Ava. I always knew that Mick was going to give birth at this particular time and that I would be able to get his ear comms and they wouldn't be sitting on his bedroom counter at that time. And that would allow me to speak to Constantine, who I knew was going to be addicted to magic (laughs) at this particular moment and vulnerable to my suggestion of breaking out, drinking the rest of the potion. I always knew this was the way that things were going to work out. And then you go, "Uh, okay, that was a lot of things that could have possibly gone wrong in your plan there. It's a really elaborate plan to get a Bluetooth headset, isn't it? It's a very elaborate plan. I'm going to make you give Mick the smoothie that actually induces labour rather than (laughs) soothes his pain, and then you are going to let me out at this particular time. Oh, and then he had the codes from Sarah as well. He already had the codes to lock down the ship and do all sorts of different things. So it's like, well, why didn't you use that earlier or something? I don't I don't know. Because apparently with Gideon, all you need to do is know the codes. You don't need to have the same voice to speak the codes. Yeah, she's got cameras and she can tell where people are in the ship and stuff. Surely she can tell who's giving the actual orders. And then it was when they finally got Gideon working again, there was another message. And even Gideon says, oh, no, not again. (laughs) 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 Which I liked. Gideon just gets constantly taken out of action in this season. It's like, yep, this is knackered. Oh, right, okay. Can't take off. Can't do this. The Wave Rider has shocking security because all you need to do is know a code. That's... Pointless. It's an advanced ship. Surely a voice print would work. Yeah, you could have Bishop mimic her voice print or whatever, but surely Gideon's sentient enough to know who the real people are by this point as well. It's very strange. I mean, my smart speaker won't listen to anyone but me. (laughs) We have that technology now, so why doesn't the Wave Rider have it? I thought they did it well seasons ago when Rip was on the ship. (laughs) That rhymes. And he dug up a protocol that he built into Gideon to get him out of the cell and so on. That makes sense. It's his ship. It used to be his ship. So he would have these back doors built in. But just knowing the same codes that Sarah does shouldn't be enough to get you to take control of the ship. Not when voice prints should be easy enough. He would have been buggered if he had the wrong memory of Sarah's, wouldn't he? He had the past version of the code rather than the current version of the code or something. Don't you change your password, Sarah? Do any of us, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, do any of us. We keep using the same password. Yeah, Password one, two, three. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> password with a zero instead of an O. It's all that sort of stuff that you have going on. Poor Gideon and the Wave Rider constantly getting knackered and even in the final shots getting blown up again. That was a really bizarre ending. I really liked that, how they were just walking triumphantly towards the ship. Another Wave Rider, or at least another ship, comes out of nowhere, blows it up and then leaves. It's just so unexpected. Well, the thing is, they had already teased that something is about to go south because they did the line of, this never normally happens, everything's all nicely tied up. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> like, what's about to happen? The Earth's going to swallow them whole, someone else is going to get abducted. Nope, the Wave Rider's going to come out and destroy itself. Okay, cool. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Poor Gideon just constantly getting overridden. With her appearing in the next season in person, I don't know how can you override actual Gideon. Yeah, God knows. 
wonder if they'll do that. Maybe she'll print a body like Bishop did. Oh, she might do, because the technology has been on board. Could be. On the subject of the Wave Rider getting blown up, as long as they have a time courier, they'll be fine. And you had that line, I don't know if it was in the last episode or the episode before, where Nate said, why don't we just have those on us at all times? <laughs> I mean, why don't you? Is that going to be what they mentioned? It's, Where's the time courier? I left it in the ship. You idiot. Yeah, I left mine on the ship. The thing is, they had an entire team of people who all had time couriers. There was a lot of them out there. It seems that everyone should have one. The Time Bureau doesn't exist anymore, though. The Bureau doesn't exist, but they did have a lot of time couriers at that time. So you'd presume there's more than a couple that folk have on them. There should be enough for a legend each, surely. We'll find out next season. They have to get back somehow. Yeah. How are they going to... I don't know. Another Wave Rider will show up and pick them up. It's a different one. <laughs> wave Riders for days. Legends v. Legends. I don't know. Is that what they're going to go for? I don't know. But it's not the first time an alternate Wave Rider has appeared in a finale. Mm. Then to the first season finale, there was one that crashed and it had Hour Man in it. Mm. Remember that? That was like a million years ago. So let's move on to our promised segment that I came up with earlier in the podcast. Hilarious highlights. So every season of Legends has highlights that are hilarious. So I'm just going to start off by talking about the singing competition one, which I really liked. Where you had that alien that thought it was some kind of battle to the death. So the thing they have to prevent is him killing that DJ S'more Money. Was it you that told me he's based on a real DJ? There is a DJ Marshmallow who I don't think wears a marshmallow head, but there is Dead Mouse who has a mouse head that they wear. I think they've merged things like that together to create this fictional DJ. Yeah, you had the Daft Punk alien guy with a very small alien in his head that they just stepped on at the end of the episode. I was so disappointed with that. That episode was so much fun, but that ending... I was like, that alien should have been kept for at least another episode or so. That was a mistake, just killing that cute, silly little alien off at the end. Men in Black vibes. You could have at least had one episode of it sort of being a a quirky legend and then getting killed off in a ridiculous way in the next episode. (laughs) I thought, oh, this is a new thing, and then gets squashed. And you just have to get around the logic of this combative alien being just going along for the ride of the singing competition. And when he copies the voice of whoever it is, it sings. Goes online and downloads every musical act ever and merges it into the perfect voice to the perfect song using an algorithm off the internet. It's smart enough to go on the internet and do all that, but not smart enough to Google if that is how you become the ruler of the earth. Yeah. You've just got to go along with the stupidity of it, haven't you? And the premise of the show. I did find it weird because the X Factor isn't really a big American thing. I think they did like one season. So they called it the X Factor, the EX Factor, because it's Zari's X that's running the show. But I don't remember the X Factor being big in America. I thought they would have went with something like Alien Idol or something like that. Although the X Factor as a term is well known as being that special bit of stuff that you can't define talent. Yeah, I suppose so, because that's where the show was named, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, The X Factor was a strange name. Obviously, it means a lot to us, which is fine. I really enjoyed that episode and getting to see Tala Ash do her singing thing, where she starts off by doing weird, well, not weird, but music that I wouldn't listen to, so therefore it's weird, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and she ends the episode by doing, what's the name of the song? You'll know it. Buzzcocks, Ever Fallen in Love. Yes. That one. So she does that one with John and it highlights the fact that they make each other better. They 
found something with each other and John joins her on stage and stuff. That was a really good moment. I loved that. It was a very clever moment. And the episode was about Zari coming to terms with the fact that she gets to be herself. Her final number is that. That's her singing what she wants to sing. Because earlier in the episode, she mentions that that song isn't a good love song or something like that. She mentions that and John disagrees with her. And that's the episode where they admit that they're not just messing around. There's actual feelings there and they both want to take that risk, even though it is a risk. There's a lot of good stuff there. A lot of good stuff to play with around that. It's one of those, well, forgive the nonsense because the meaning is so good. But it was one of those legends episodes, wasn't it? It was one of those, the fate of humanity is relying on this one ultra silly thing. That's why I kind of liked the bowling with the Earth episode. The consequences for what this means out in the universe are absolutely huge. That there are beings powerful enough that they can turn the Earth into a bowling ball and play with it in this cosmic <laughs> bowling alley that has been created by what I can only assume is God himself <laughs> from the way that they're going on it. And the legends deal with it like, yeah, we played a, a bowling competition with the Earth for the planet and then we saved the universe in a bowling alley. Of course they did. Ridiculous episode. If Crisis had lasted any longer, the Monitor would have just had them play a game of bowling because <laughs> we all know he had no idea what he was doing. So yeah, you have to play this game of bowling. It has to be Paragon on Paragon. Yeah, Paragon v Paragon. The beings that are involved in this must be uber powerful. The fact that they were able to impose themselves into the cosmic bowling alley created by presumably God. The weight <laughs> that was getting thrown about in there, the power level that was getting thrown about there was ridiculous. A silly episode. Something that if you wrote down the plot for folk would think you were crazy but i kind of enjoyed it i thought this is legends this is just legends being super silly with a concept it's very douglas adams as well mm. that sort of oh, idea. that's true actually yeah you're right the invite <laughs> you've received the invite you've decoded the invite so this is what happens next and obviously doctor who that was written by douglas adams for a while so it's all go and i really liked how the polls in the earth like bowling ball holes <laughs> in the earth where actual holes and I like how they connected the two plots, the two sets of characters that way. Well, there was three sets of characters. There was one in the alley, one in the ship, one on their surface. And they shot the guy's hand and it was like, ah, and it drops the ball and it gutters. <laughs> With the gun setting going up to hell, yeah, or something like that. I'm trying to remember what the <laughs> yeah. setting of the gun was that they used. Yeah, it's one of Spooner's guns, Yeah, of course. I enjoyed that episode. There was the Cluedo one, which seemed like it was going to be fun, but it ended up being anything but because it was incredibly dark. Mm, very sinister. The funniest thing about it when Ava was like, no, we're going in again and I want to win. And everyone's like, no, don't. <laughs> I'm not going back in there. What are you, crazy? We barely survived the last time. So there was that one, the burger one, which seemed a bit standard legends in a way. You know, we have to fit in somewhere and do this. The Cold War one wasn't as good as I wanted it to be either. The Cuban Missile Crisis one. Again, it was Legends being weird and out there, but it wasn't stupid fun or anything like that. Again, it had a bit more weight to it. It was ridiculous, but not as ridiculous as it could be, I guess. <laughs> Maybe not putting that over in the best way. I keep forgetting that was an episode, actually. <laughs> the funniest thing about that was where Bayrad puts on a hat and then he looks a bit like Che Guevara <laughs> and he goes by Jay Guevara. Because Castro's that stupid, apparently. I'm his brother, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> the legends ramping up the Cuban Missile Crisis. Of course, it's the legends. It's what they do. I think one of my favourite episodes of the season, though, was the one where they went back in time to the finale of the previous season. 
to try and stop Sarah from getting abducted. But they're trying not to cross over. Yeah, and then Ava, native to that time period, finds them and she says, well, I'm going to have to get blackout drunk now so that I forget you were ever here. Thank you. She's <laughs> angry at them. None of you do anything. Just sit here. They all just sit in the bar. And when they realise that Spooner is the one that can move around unnoticed because they haven't met her yet. And then they stand in for each other. There's a bit where John and Zari disappear off to the bathroom. Don't ask why. For <laughs> however many minutes. And they make a joke about how many minutes it is. And then they appear and then just trying to convince Sarah to propose to Ava and stuff. That was a lot of fun, that episode. Just the fact that they're playing around with, you're breaking the rules and that's horrible. And Ava's just mad at them. Don't tell me anything. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, I don't want to know the future. I don't want to know what happens. (laughs) Having to get blackout drunk. Well, they acknowledge it's a really bad idea as well. It's the closest that they've got, isn't it? When you have Nate turn up wearing John's trench coat, wearing an eye patch with long black hair. (laughs) I did like that, actually. That was funny. What happened in that future? And Zari 2.0 is a bit like, oh, hello. <laughs> She's really into it. Very funny. You had the Western episode where everyone was really nice and they were all drinking milkshakes or something like that. The Western episode, Feet Diggle. Or not Diggle. Or not Diggle. Ancestor. Not quite Diggle. I still don't understand that. Not understanding probably doesn't deserve to be here, but what the... Anyway, carry on. <laughs> David Ramsey's playing a real person, a real historical person, Bass Reeves. But he has no significance in the episode, really. He's just kind of there. You've got the bit where he turns up at the end to help them fight and Sarah's like, dig? And he's just like, yes, ma'am, I really dig this. And that's all he says. Fun line, but why is it? Oh, yeah, okay, fine. (laughs) Why is he here? Just because he's been in every other show. He just happened to be doing a little tour around all the shows at that particular time, (laughs) as we've discussed in other shows elsewhere on this podcast. The mustache and stuff was funny. We had David Ramsey. It was good to see him, even though there was nothing to him, really. It was a bit of a shame. The other episode that we have to talk about, the animation episode, where some of it was animated. Astro learning magic and stuff. And animating everything. That was really good. They had done puppets, so it seemed to make sense for them to do animation. And it was a fun take on the... I was going to say Sleeping Beauty thing there. No, it's not. Cinderella. Cinderella. Yeah, she gets to be a princess. She gets to be a princess. It's the Beauty on the Beast thing with the animated cutlery and crockery and all that business. Where some of what they turned into made sense and some of it didn't. That's true. There was a wheel of cheese. I remember someone was a wheel of cheese. I think Ava became a binder, which made sense. Nate was a wheel of cheese. Nate was a wheel of cheese. Which makes sense, actually, when you think about it. (laughs) Someone was a fork, I think. Spooner. Spooner? The name Spooner became a fork. Yeah, (laughs) that works. Spooner should have become a spoon, I'm just saying. That's the way that should have worked. She wouldn't have been as jabby and able to help out, but it would have made more sense. (laughs) I'm trying to remember. So we had a spoon, we had a wheel of cheese, we had a binder. Zari was a flip phone. A flip phone, yes. An angry flip phone. I love that she was like, I'm a flip phone. She just really affronted by the fact that she was a flip phone. An out-of-date flip phone. For that work, because of the social media and the text. Glittery flip phone as well. It was really good. And then we all had that fight as the object that they were, and you even got to see Nate's wheel of cheese steal up. That was good. <laughs> the animation was great. It was very Disney-esque. It looked like very expensive animation. It wasn't for very long in the episode, but it was there. It was good enough. Oh, yeah. Even the animation that they did around Constantine was well done. That must have been expensive for them to get. And it was a great episode for Astra as well. I liked the montage of her day where she tries to go shopping and she has no money. And is there not something about her age that throws people off? Because it turns out she's still young. 
<laughs> yeah, you're not old enough. You're out of time. You were only born like 10 years ago or something like that, whatever it is, because of the time travel. And then there was the racist neighbour. She thinks about stealing his soul, but she can't bring herself to do it because the neighbour assumes she's the help. Mm. It was all really good stuff. And you had the painting voiced by Matt Lucas. He was good. Alistair Crowley. Yeah, they used him a couple of times through the season, which I like. I thought they did a good job of that. I like the idea that John's just kept this random painting up in the attic. It's the bit where Astra sticks him in the painting and it's like, I can bring you out whenever I want. Cool. Well, you're in the painting until such times as whatever. And she thinks she's in control, which mm. she's kind of not. That's her potentially starting down the route of addiction where it comes to magic because mm. she quickly becomes proficient at some simple spells and she really just wants more and more and more. But they haven't really done much with it since then. And maybe she won't go down the same route. Maybe she is in more control over it. And she has been in hell, so whatever it's maybe not so bad for her that's true maybe she's got more of a handle on that because of her other life it's a good point and all of that in order to understand her mum's composition she has to become a disney princess because they have the innate ability to read music and sing that was a really <laughs> good fact and it was that spell to rob john of his magic if he was ever straight too far so she does that she robs him of his magic. It's to stop Alistair Crowley and, and so on. The whole whimsy of the animation ties into what Astra's going through, what John is going through and everything. I thought that was a really good one. Took them long enough to do an animated episode. Well, we had already had the fantastic puppets of the previous season, so animation we had to have next. Not too much of a stretch. No. So is there any hilarious highlights that you have? I haven't covered. No, I think that's it. I'm sure I'll end up thinking of one after the podcast. I enjoyed the bowling. The animation was good. There was lots of little one-liners. I didn't find there was as many episodes where the entire premise of the episode was ridiculous. There was lots of lines within them that were quite good. Like you say, stuff like the sitcom episode where they were throwing in gags and little in-jokes and stuff in there. There was bits like that that made me chuckle, but I don't think there were as many episodes where the entire premise of the episode was as ridiculous. Or maybe I've just adapted to Legends too much. You had certainly a couple of them. The ones that we've mentioned, they're the ridiculous premise episodes that the show has become known for. They're maybe not pushing the envelope in the same way they did before. The animation episode, I don't think they went far enough. It's disappointingly short. The singing competition, I don't think it went far enough. Well, it went pretty far. The bowling episode i don't think it was as loony as it could have been probably because they were having quite an intense relationship discussion in the middle of it and it made it a little bit jarring and you had the trying on dresses montage as well for ava because gary was trying to distract her from the fact that space was gone well you had the episode where they were just traveling really slowly and getting on each other's nerves that was a good one it wasn't really a gimmicky episode but it's the family dynamic isn't it if we're stuck with each other for a long period of time we are going to annoy each other that's what that episode was about if we're not distracted while this is going on, we're going to end up killing each other, and that's how the board game and everything comes out of that. You're right, the wedding dress sequence was fantastic, with Gary just putting in even more ridiculous stuff onto the dress. By the end of it, it's like, are you sure this isn't too much? And it's every bow, every ribbon, every bit of lace, and <laughs> it's just huge, this dress, by the end of it. It starts off as a very sensible wedding dress, and then ends up... Ends up completely over the score i would have liked the throwback from that being that in the final episode that was her wedding dress <laughs> rather than the tasteful minimalist thing that ended up yeah. what they wore was very very nice but i would have liked the ridiculous ott dress to have made its appearance <laughs> and it's funny how nobody in the arrowverse gets invited to the wedding after all maybe they'll have a reception where everybody's there it's all the rage and black lightning turns up even though he doesn't invite <laughs> no one knows how he knew about it barry doesn't get invited but black lightning's there 
Oh, the ultimate How insult. How did he get in here? You've just got people whispering in the corner. He's here again. How did he get in here? Who let him in? <laughs> did anybody invite him? Who is this guy? Remember when we were in the Hall of Justice and he sat in a chair? We didn't make that chair for him. He was just there. <laughs> he brought his own chair. <laughs> yeah. That lightning bolt was for the Flash, not for him. <laughs> just brought his own chair. Don't know why. Really strange. Okay, cool. I think we've covered it then. So do you want to just summarise your thoughts on this season? And maybe throw in a bit of what you want from next season. Oh, what I want from next season and what I thought of this season. Well, I think after discussing it, I've probably, in my opening remarks, maybe been a bit more harsh on it than I think, because I've actually laughed as we've been talking about it with some of the stuff that's been on. So You're just laughing at me confessing to misery. Yeah, just so your confessions, mainly laughing at you. I think maybe I've been a bit too harsh, because there has been some good moments through it and maybe some stronger plots than I thought. Next season, what do I want next season? Oh, that's difficult when it comes to Legends. It's always difficult, isn't it? In my head, I've got Legends v. Legends because you've seen the Wave Rider destroy the Wave Rider. But I don't know how that would work or how fun that would be to see or what that's going to end up. I'm looking forward to more crazy, essentially. More crazy and more random. More Gary. (laughs) More Gary. It was Gary that blew up the Wave Rider. It was him. Oh, there's the plot. Gary's the villain. (laughs) I enjoyed season six. It was a strange season because they did a lot of more serious plotting, more intense plotting, more difficult character journey stuff than we've been used to seeing. And sometimes that feels a little bit out of place in Legends. They still had fun. They still did their fun stuff. The characters are still top notch. It felt like a strange season overall. And I wonder if some of that's got to do with COVID and they weren't able to fully throw themselves into what they were really wanting to do. So they had to make concessions along the way. I don't know. But it was a odd season in a lot of ways not a bad season certainly not the worst season <coughs> season one but <laughs> it was okay it was watchable it moves the characters forward it moves them forward in really interesting ways we get a couple of unfortunate departures characters that i like are now gone apparently mick might be back in a recurring capacity next season i'm sure i read that somewhere i'm not sure where matt ryan obviously will come back as a new character in some way where you'll get to just be welsh no longer putting on his cockney accent so he'll be pleased at that I suppose. It'd be interesting to see him embody a new character and how that plays in. I don't think Legends v Legends will be what happens. I think the reason the Wave Rider blew up the other Wave Rider will be something innocuous that they'll explain their way past pretty quickly. It's an odd season. I didn't enjoy it as much as I have previous seasons but I still really bloody enjoyed it. It's still one of the best shows on television most certainly. I agree with you there. It's one of my favourites in the Arrowverse and that's why I keep watching it. For as long as it may live on television. Maybe it'll be his final season next season? We don't know. We say that every season. It could be. On paper, it is the one that you would think would not survive, but it keeps outliving the others. (laughs) Yeah, it keeps at pace. Well done, Legends. You'll beat Supergirl by one season, at least. Okay, that was our conversation about DC's Legends of Tomorrow Season 6. I would like to thank YouTuber Neil Stenson for the supplied music. I would also like to thank our in-house artist Isaac for doing the artwork. Thank you, Chris, for joining for this discussion. It's been good fun tearing apart this zany season of television. Thank you for having me on. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any major podcasting app. It's in the same feed that you're listening to it as well. If you're on Apple, please do leave us a star rating and a comment. It really helps the show. But what's our favourite number on these star ratings? Five stars. Exactly. If you want to talk to us about Legends of Tomorrow, the Arrowverse, anything else really, you can catch us on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog. 
or you can reach out to us on the comment section under this or any article on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. And as always, hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod. Mm-hmm.